two back there, one over here. Need at least three. Anybody else? He'll take care of you, give you an outline. <clears throat> in just a minute, in case you want to fill the whole outline up, I'll give you the points that we've covered. Uh, but we're talking about a grace for every need. So uh, certainly we all come to the points in our lives. Uh, I hope we realize we need God's grace every day. But certainly uh, there are times that we need God's grace more than other times. And I just pray that uh, we see the need to be in position to receive God's grace. Well, I'll go over the points that we've already covered. Uh, number one was the agonizing thorn. The agonizing thorn. And then uh, there was three uh, subtitles into that. A was what came. What came. And B was when it came. And C was why it came. Those are pretty simple there. Uh, so now we're getting into uh, the astonishing truth about these verses. So I want to read these verses again. Uh, and when you really, this is uh, some of my favorite verses, parts of the Bible to read is, uh, of course, Acts tells about some of, about Paul. But to talk, when you, Acts starts talking about Philip and Ethiopian and uh Paul's salvation, uh, very interesting and, and astonishing truth. And this is an astonishing truth about Paul. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And verse 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So going back up to verse 7, I want to say a little bit more about that, and then we'll get into verses 9 and 10 today. Uh, said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now, Paul... Of course, we know that many things were revealed to him because of all the books that he wrote in the New Testament. Uh, I think it's 13. If I forgot, remember that number wrong, forgive me. Uh, uh, but uh, So God showed Paul a lot of things that he showed us. Paul was showed things that God said, don't show that. They that's, that's right. That's, it's not, Paul's is not legal for us to see it. So he know he was shown more than what he told us, but he told us what God told him to tell us. So all these revelations, uh, so in case, so that people would not worship him, exalted above measure, exalted 
above where he should be. Man wants to worship someone or something. Men tried to worship the apostles. There's instances in the New Testament that men tried to worship them. They said, no, 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 it's Jesus Christ. What I've done is in the power of Jesus Christ. The apostles. Now you think, well, I would never worship a man. The apostles tried to worship Moses and Elijah, right? So that tells me that we need to be on the lookout to make sure that we don't do that. And there are, there are men that are desire that very thing. And they will uh, know how to work people, get them worked up, and get them to follow them. And if they're not careful, they just start, and what they, what they actually do, they just start listening to what he says. He'll start out right. It's like those TV shows. You know, you watch a show, that was a pretty clean show. That wasn't too bad. Well, it's about the third or fourth episode. You wish you'd never seen any of it. They, they move in slow. And that's the way uh, Paul said it'd be, uh, they'll come in like wolves. But they want to be worshipped. Man wants to worship something. And they'll worship the man instead of worshiping God. John tried to worship an angel in heaven when he was took to heaven where it was a vision or whether it was there. He tried to worship an angel. So we see we have to be on guard. You say, well, if I stay in God's will, yeah, you, you need to stay in God's will, but you need to know that it's possible. You think John was in God's will when he gave the revelation to him? Yeah, but he still bowed down and started to worship an angel. So we got to be careful that we don't do that. We got pastor appreciation that we ought to appreciate him and he deserves appreciation. And he, if he thought that something like that was happening, he'd do something about it. He, know, he gives all the glory to God and all the glory to Jesus Christ because that's the one that died for us. He's the one that died for our sins, shed his blood, was buried and rose again. And that's where the glory goes. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says the exact same thing twice in one verse. Lest I should be exalted above measure. So we, we understand here that he understands why he has the thorn in the flesh. Doesn't say he, he never says he likes it, but he says he likes what he gets from it. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And now we'll get into verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now we need to be careful how we take that verse right there. The glory is because of the grace. The glory is not because of the infirmities. Don't glory in your infirmities. And I know you've heard people, you'll say something about being sick. Oh, I had that, but I had this on top of it. And you've heard the term uh, suffering for Jesus. And sometimes it's used jokingly because you know people that that's what they want you to feel like, that they're suffering for Jesus. Well, a lot of times the suffering for Jesus ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. It's because you just ain't doing what you're supposed to do. 
But here Paul is giving not the glory to his infirmities, not that he's sick, say, look at me how bad I am. He said, look at me and see what God is doing for me even though I am in bad shape. So it's the grace that that needs the glory. Then verse 10, Therefore I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because... That causes him to depend on Christ. Well, when we have a distress or a persecution, oh, oh, got church three weeks, three months. Let me see here. I have touched something up here. We might be done. How about that? Because I can't find word. There it is, there it is, there we go. But as I said, the glory is because of the grace. And he went through these things and uh, reproaches and infirmities and different things. And through all this, he says uh, that my great, God says, my grace is sufficient. Paul knew there was nothing that God could not do. He was very aware of that fact. And we'll read these verses, be uh, probably familiar to you, the story familiar to you. And I'm going to not read the whole chapter, but in Acts 23 and verse 11, and Paul is uh, imprisoned. He's detained by the Romans uh, because uh, the Jewish leaders uh, were after him. They captured him, however you want to put it, and turned him over to Roman uh, custody. And verse 20, chapter 23, verse 11, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Now he's in prison. All right? Be a good cheer, Paul. Be a good cheer, Paul. You know when we've got to be a good cheer? We'll be in good cheer when we get down here and get some of his food. That makes us in good cheer. God said, When you're in prison... Be in good cheer. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, and boy, we know he testified of him in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So see, Paul's got a guarantee right there. Paul, cheer up, buddy. I like the way you testified of me in Jerusalem. You, you listened to what I said, and you told them all about me. He said, you're going to go to Rome. Paul knows he can't die till he gets to Rome. He, he's got nothing to worry about these people right here. Don't matter what it is. He can't die till he gets to Rome. Now, he don't know he's going to die in Rome, which eventually I think he does. It's not in the scriptures, uh, but that's probably where he died at. But he knew he wasn't going to die till he got to Rome. Verse 12 says, and when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Guess what? If they honored that, if they honored that uh, vow, they starved to death. They didn't live about three or four days if they honored the vow. 
And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So now Paul's in jail, right? And he's going to supposedly be tried, is what everybody's thinking. He's going to be tried. And 40 of them says, when they get him out of jail, we're going to kill him. And that's all there is to it. And we're not doing anything else but figuring out how we're going to kill Paul. <coughs> so Paul's nephew, I think it is, if I got that relationship wrong, forgive me, heard about it. He heard him talking about it. So he goes and tells somebody to jail, the chief captain. So he tells him, and then verse 22 says, So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him as, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And then verse 23, And he called unto him two centurions. That's the leader of the groups. He called unto him two centurions saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea. And horsemen threescore and ten. And spearmen two hundred. At the third hour of the night. So why is Paul going to worry about them 40 men? He's going to be in the middle of 470. Now, this captain was probably not saved. But his job was to keep the security of Paul. And he was going to make sure he did it. He had no idea that God worked out for him to do it. You think that boy was standing in that place and heard what was said by happenstance? God put him there. God allowed him to go tell about it. God knew about it. And in verse 24 it says, And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. He's going to ride in style. He's riding right there in the middle of them. He's going to make it to Rome or make it to Felix. And he knew that because God said, For as thou testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear, bear witness also at Rome. So God, Paul knew that God could do anything that he said he would do. A is through weakness we are strengthened. That's amazing, isn't it? That you get the best strength out of your weakness. Those times we're cast down, discouraged, and defeated. But at those times, we can become the strongest that we can be. When Paul said, when I am weak, then I'm strong. What's the most restricting trial that you've ever been through? And I know you could probably sit here two hours and keep saying, no, that one was worse than that one, that one was worse than that one, because you've been through a bunch of them. Something happened in your life, and maybe for a time you did, and you just said, I quit because it was so stressful. There was a man that suffered from childhood polio. He said the worst thing that ever happened to him was childhood polio. But the greatest thing that ever happened to him was childhood polio because it made him strong in every other area of his life. You know, as an illustration here, as a child holds on to a kite, and adults too, it's fascinating looking at that kite, isn't it? 
You look at it and it's flying. I mean, if you if you got a good kite, you know what you're doing. You got a little bit of wind, not a whole lot of wind, but you got a little bit of wind. You can almost get that thing out of sight. It's fascinating. Probably ain't too fascinating for an eagle. They say, what are they doing? Why don't they just go up there and fly themselves? It's fascinating to us, isn't it? But you've got to keep your hands on that string. You've got to keep hold of that kite. If you let it go, the kite's either going to fly away or it's going to drop straight to the ground. Most of the time, just, if you let that tension off, it'll just almost just fall straight to the ground. You'll sit doing this number. You've got to hold on to that string. And it interesting that a restriction is what makes that kite fly so good? It's got to be restricted. can't do it under its own power. The thing that we think is holding us down most may be what's helping us the most. We've got to be empty for God to fill us. And as long as we're doing everything under our own power and we're thinking we're doing all right, God can't give you too much. We've got to be broken before he will fix us. We must be needy before he will give. We must first be cast down before he can lift us up. If we're walking high and prideful and doing everything, I'm doing good and look what I'm doing. And Now, we don't think that out loud. We don't think that to ourselves. But what we do is we forget who's actually holding us up. Now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't walk around and tell anybody, look how good I am, look how good I'm doing, and I'm doing this all by my own. But when you forget God is doing it for you, that's what you're telling him. Through weakness, we are perfected, letter B. There's one Greek word for the phrase, is made perfect in verse 9. From this Greek word, we get the word Jesus uttered as he agonized for us on the cross. In his sixth statement from the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. When we are strengthened through him, our strength is completed, perfected. It is finished. When we rely on God for our strength, we'll have the amount of strength that we need. We don't need to add anything to that strength. He gives us it's enough to meet whatever the needs may be. If we find ourselves consumed by the thorns in the flesh, rest assured God's strength is enough. If you depend on him and pray to him, it'll be enough. You say, what about the one that was sick and dying? What about the, and, and, they, and they died. If they died in the Lord, he'll take care of them. We're all going to die sometime. And we seem to think that that's a bad thing. And it is for us. And we want them to live and we want them to live that full life. But God's still taking care of them. His strength is perfect and sufficient for any need we face. And then the Almighty triumph. One of the most encouraging aspects of our passage is how Paul gained spiritual victory. When we're pricked by a thorn, we too can gain that same spiritual victory, but we must recognize our own weakness. 
A primary qualification for serving God is an honest acknowledgement of our inability. We want to acknowledge our ability. God don't care about your ability. He wants to help you with your inability. Now, there's only one person in here that knew me before I was called to preach. So y'all are not nearly as amazed as she is. You're not nearly as amazed as some of the people was where I was going to church then. Probably not amazed at all, but whatever. You see, I don't talk to people. If somebody don't talk to me, I don't get mad. I think, well, they're stuck up. After I, years and years after I graduated high school, I realized why some people didn't like me. Because I didn't talk to them. They didn't talk to me. It didn't bother me. But it bothered them. I don't talk to people. That's me. It's only through God's strength that I can stand up here and teach a Sunday school class, much less preach. So what is the weakness that God can help you with? There may be an area in your life, so I can never do that. That may be exactly what he wants you to do. But we have to recognize that weakness and recognize his grace. So when it comes to, I hope you ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or how would you have me to live? Or what do you want me to do with my life? Or Lord, am I, am I going in right? Yeah, ask that once in a while. And when a thought comes across your mind, no, not that. I can't do that. What did you ask God what to do? Do you think the devil put that thought in your mind when you was praying to God? I don't think so. I don't think so. So you say, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other, and this I can't do, and this I can't do. Well, if you acknowledge that, that's good. But what you got to do then is acknowledge God's grace. There's nothing you can't do if that's what he wants you to do. It's paramount that we understand that, that God will help us in our weakness. It's not what you bring to the table for Christ that matters. It's what you do not have that makes God look upon you and choose you. We recognize our own ability. We put ourselves in a position to see the power of God. We'll be, we will never be amazed by God's strength if we spend our lives believing that our own strength is sufficient. Well, I can do this, and this is what I'm going to do. Well, that's good that you're doing that. But what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do today? What does God want you to do tomorrow? What does God want you to do in the morning? What does God want you to do in the afternoon? What does God want you to do that night? What does he want you to do that week? What does he want you to accomplish this month? What does he want you to accomplish the rest of the year? What does he want you to accomplish next year? We need to ask God what he wants us to do and believe that his grace is sufficient. We must rely on his Strength.
In addition to recognizing our own weaknesses, I said we have to recognize God's strength. Paul recognized that. There's been only, a, I could count them on one hand, that God told me, now I didn't have a revelation like Paul did. He wasn't talking to me. It was not inspired words that I could write. I'm not saying that. But God said, this is going to happen. And I believed it. I believed it. I didn't have the power to bring it about to happen, but I believed it would happen. There's been other things in my life that had I placed everything in his hands, he could have told me that, but I didn't, so I didn't hear it. But when God tells you this is going to happen, you got to be in God's will. you got to be searching. And you have to ask, be asking and looking to God for what he wants you to do before he can tell you that. If you're not interested, he can't. If he sent it in writing in a bottle in the ocean, you wouldn't believe it. But it's that still small voice that speaks to you when you pray. you got to listen to it. <clears throat> if Paul was unable to bear his thorn in the flesh apart from the power of Christ, can't we admit the same thing about our thorn? That well, this prevents me from doing this. So I can't do this. Now I know there's physical capabilities that some of us in here don't have and, and we're it's a bad day to say we're all over the age that gets it there because we've got two that's certainly not over the age. But uh, most of us in here, or we've got three, four younger people in here today, but most of us are the age that there's things we no longer can do. I no longer expect to be able to run a 400-yard relay. <laughs> but I don't need to do that. That's not what God wants me to do. There's things that you know you're not going to be able to do, but there's things that you think you can't do that God can help you to do. But we have to admit that we can't do it, and we have to admit that God can. It's easier for a man to admit he doesn't know how to get somewhere by asking Google Maps than by stopping and asking directions. We don't get put down near as much as we used to because we don't have to stop anymore. We can just pull out our phone and find out how to get there. Now, just like you could ask somebody and they give you wrong directions, Google will give you the wrong directions too. If you've used it much, you've experienced that. Uh, but we don't want to admit we don't know where we're going. We just say, well, I know how to use Google Maps. Why can't all of us admit we're weak and we need God's help? He's much more dependable than Google. When we won't know where we're going in our life, Google can't answer that question. I imagine if you ask it, it'd come up with something, but I sure wouldn't want to listen to it. We've got to depend on the Lord. God's not interested in puffed up, proud people who sees himself as God's gift to humanity. He's not interested in using Someone because impressive credentials. He's interested in using people who are admittedly weak and dependent on his strength. You know, one of the amazing things about Pentecost 
when they were uh, preaching and uh, speaking in tongues and people understood and understand that when they spoke in tongues, everybody understood in their language when one person was talking. Now they try to say when eight people is talking, everybody's supposed to understand that one thing. But the apostles would do this and do that, and they would tell about the scriptures, and they'd say, they're unlearned men. That means they know how to read and write before they met Jesus. How are they, how are they proclaiming the scriptures, and they can't even read the scriptures? Oh, they can read them now. Because God gave them the power. God gave them knowledge. They didn't have to read it. They knew it. We'll go ahead and close. People will be coming in. But God can use anybody. He used Moses the stutterer, David the short one, and he used the lad with the lunch. And you go out through the New Testament, read through the New Testament, and you see where God used people he didn't use, in most cases, he did not use the great, grand, and glorious person. He used the meek and lowly person. Let's be meek and lowly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. And Lord, we thank you for life. Lord, we do pray for Israel this morning. Lord, we just want your will to be done. We don't know what that is, but that's what we want to be done. And, Lord, we pray for all those that's over there, probably still Americans there, maybe Americans still held hostage, I don't know. Pray for them. And, Lord, we do pray for, Lord, the Palestinian uh, people that are held, really held hostage by Hamas when they're hindering them from evacuating. I pray for them too, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.